with Israel defeated by Assyria, what's going to happen with the two tribes in the south? Today we'll meet three kings and see how they lead the southern kingdom. Thanks for tuning in to The Bible Brief. In our last episode, we briefly explored the northern kingdom of Israel, and we saw its trajectory from idolatry with the two golden calves all the way to exile from the land that God had long ago promised to Abraham. Though God sent the prophets like Elijah and Elisha, among others, the kings continued to lead the people into further wickedness. Finally, God judged the northern kingdom of Israel by having them ultimately conquered by the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. Now, if the northern kingdom was speeding toward judgment by God, the southern kingdom was drifting to a similar judgment. The Bible describes the southern kingdom of Judah as having the same downward direction, but with brief periods of turning back to God and following His law. Despite this downward drift, many of the kings are described as doing, quote, what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David had done. And among these was a king that ruled Judah many generations after the split of the kingdom. This king's name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was king in Judah, while the northern kingdom of Israel was being conquered by the Assyrians. And as you can imagine, once the Assyrians got a taste of victory in the north, they wanted more. After conquering Israel, they turned their attention to Judah. Judah couldn't withstand them effectively. In fact, almost all the territory of Judah was conquered by the Assyrians with the notable exception of the city of Jerusalem, the city of the temple and the city where Hezekiah ruled. And after setting the city to siege, the armies of the Assyrians encamped and attempted to get the city to surrender through propaganda efforts. These took the form of heralds or announcers who would come close to the city wall and speak the language of the people of Judah. They would tell of all the victories of the Assyrian army, and they would brag that nothing could withstand them. Further, they would mock the gods of all the people that they had already conquered. And they began to mock Yahweh, the god of Judah. The leader of the Assyrian army had them say to the people of Judah, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him. For no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my father's. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? And even more, they said, Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall, to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth which are the work of men's hands. Did you hear that? They spoke about the true God like they spoke about the fake gods of the other nations. And Hezekiah the king appeals to this fact as he desperately prays to God for deliverance of the city. He prays this in 2 Kings chapter 19. O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. 
Well, perhaps needless to say, God heard this mocking of Sennacherib, and he heard Hezekiah's prayer. God would put a stop to this mocking. As we've seen God do time and time again for his people, he would miraculously provide victory. Listen to what God has a prophet say to Hezekiah and its results. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. God defeats the Assyrian army without a single man from Jerusalem meeting them in battle. He rewarded the trust of the people of Judah with victory when defeat had looked certain. God answered Hezekiah's leadership of Judah and his prayers for his people. And yet, the downward drift of the kingdom of Judah continued even in this great king's life. You see, as Hezekiah aged, pride snuck into his heart and sin showed itself in his actions. The ease with which these greats of the Bible fall into sin should be a sobering reminder to us. Whether it was Abraham, David, Solomon, or here with Hezekiah, each of them saw the amazing deliverance and promises of God, and yet sin still reared its ugly head in their lives. It happened that when Hezekiah was sick, the king of Babylon sent him a kind letter along with gifts. Apparently, the king of Babylon wanted not only to gain the favor of Hezekiah, but there was probably an ulterior motive here too. The Babylonian king wanted to have his people take a look at the spoils that would be for the king who finally conquered Jerusalem. And what does Hezekiah proudly do? He shows them everything. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, and all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. And in response to this proud display from Hezekiah, we hear from a prophet giving us a picture of the future of Judah. The prophet says this, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, Hezekiah, and that which your fathers have stored up till this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon." This is one of the first glimpses that we get of the near future for Judah. An exile not in Assyria, but in Babylon. A city, perhaps, that you remember from long ago. A city that got its name because of confusion. A city notable for its pride and notable for its downfall. The return of Babylon is imminent, but not yet. After Hezekiah's death, we see his son Manasseh rule Judah. And in contrast to the generally faithful rule of his father, Manasseh is described like this. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he built the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal, and made an Asherah as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And finally, this particularly harsh indictment, 
Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Maybe needless to say, Manasseh was not a good king. Not only did he lead the people into idolatry of the fake gods, but he even sacrifices his own son as an offering to these non-gods. He was a wicked man. And the prophets again express an impending doom for Judah brought about by God. Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. But not yet. Even with Manasseh's wickedness, God's patience endures. And two generations later, we see one final national revival under a king named Josiah, who is described like this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Apparently, under the two prior kings, Manasseh and his son, things in Judah had gotten so bad that the people actually forgot the law that God had given the nation. It had gone into such disuse that the people no longer even knew its contents. But with Josiah, one of the priests of the temple found a copy of the law in the temple, and he came and read it to Josiah. In response to the reading, Josiah tears his clothes. He recognizes the evil that the nation has fallen into, and he leads a national renewal of their covenant commitment to the Lord. Josiah then commands that the temple be cleansed from its evil practices, and he even commands the celebration of the Passover feast, remembering how God delivered his people from the final plague in Egypt. And in response to Josiah's leadership, God says this through a prophet. Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. It seems that with each revival that occurred in the nation, God delayed the inevitable exile that awaited Judah. But that time was drawing to a close. Within two generations of Josiah's death, the city of confusion finally came for the city of God. Babylon finally conquers Jerusalem in 586 BC. They carry off the wealth of Jerusalem, the temple vessels of worship, many of the people, and the king's descendants, just as God had foretold by the prophets. The drift of Judah finally ended with the conquering of the southern kingdom. Judah would now go into exile and wait for God to somehow deliver the nation from its bondage. God had said to the people long ago before giving them the law, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And he would add to his resume of deliverance. Somehow, some way, he was going to deliver the nation, not from Egypt this time, but from exile. The twelve tribes of Israel fulfilled exactly what Moses had foretold. He said to them way back in the book of Deuteronomy, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted 
come down throughout all your land. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. This is the end, right? The sad story of a nation delivered by God from slavery only to turn from Him? The corruption of sin proving its victory over God? God's power is just not enough to save this people from this heart corruption that pervades the human race. Well, not so fast. Next time we're going to listen to what some of the prophets have to say about God's plan. Remember the covenants? Remember the promises? God still has lots more to do. And the greatest demonstration of his power is yet to come. A power so immense that nothing can withstand it. Not even death itself. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Are you enjoying the podcast? One of the best ways for the show to grow is for you to share it with a friend. Will you do that today? We'd love to help more people understand the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.